Hi, welcome everyone to Pop Cult X episode 96. This week we got some more hot topics with your co-host Danny and myself Gabriel. So let's go ahead and get right into it. So uh, everything that kind of everyone's talking about right now is centered around Chris Rock's new Oculus <laughs> special. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you get a chance to watch it? I did. I did watch it. And I'll say this. I I I don't know how many times, if any, before Netflix has done a live special. Mm-hmm. So we just happened to be glancing at the TV and I saw a Netflix live Chris Rock special. I was like, what? So I put it on and... It was really cool. I think really not courageous. That's not the right word, but really, um, really, I guess cool is the only word I can think of that they did it live so that everyone got to see the same thing at the same time. So I thought that was really neat, really cool, really, um, I don't want to say courageous, but it was really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I, I saw it. Um, I saw particularly, you know, what everyone is talking about is he's finally made mm-hmm. a comment about what happened between him and Will Smith. Um, a lot of people are are claiming it as like this big victory for Chris Rock that he really put Will Smith in his place. Um, I don't really necessarily think that. Having okay. watched it, um, there was a couple of jokes that centered around the fact that that Will Smith is much bigger than Chris Rock. Yeah that he played Muhammad Ali, whereas Chris Rock played Pookie, Pookie from New Jack, Jack City, City <laughs> which was a great joke. Um, but I think that that makes you definitely feel sorry for Chris Rock, um, but it doesn't necessarily make me, di- you know, I'm not like, oh, he really got Will Smith on that comment. Um, then as he kind of further goes in on on the uh, the special, he says that Will Smith has... Uh, what's the whole the whole show was called selective outrage uh, outrage right yeah mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that that's another like dig at Will Smith like that's really uh, a great introspective or hot topic or hot take like I think everyone has selective outrage right oh yeah oh like, definitely I mean so like it's kind of just like I don't know like I don't think that that's anything that was um, all too brilliant or all too introspective or uh, pointing out something. I, it, it kind of pointing out the obvious yeah. uh, in, in, my, in, in my mind. Um, so I didn't really think that that was a really, you know, big win for Chris Rock. Um, at one point, he just kind of repeatedly said that everyone thinks that Will Smith is a bitch. He's just like, <laughs> over oh, and over and over again. The bitch is a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess I had higher uh, a higher standard for Chris Rock. I thought I think that he is a very smart, intelligent, like brilliant at sometimes comedian. And I thought he had all this time to sort of ruminate on the the actions of Will Smith, like what caused it, you know, how he felt about it, and the fact that that was what he came up with. I was slightly disappointed. Um, I, I didn't think that his digs were that great um, or were that funny. Um, I don't know. So I was a little disappointed by it. What, what were your thoughts? Well, um, just going back to what you said real quick about him saying Will Smith or everyone saying, yeah, he's a bitch. He's a bitch. And over and over. I think that was just the build up to the to his punchline of that joke was. And who does he slap me? So it wasn't really a dig. It was just more of a building up to that punchline of that. He's the one that. Will Smith decided to take all that anger and frustration out on, right? Yeah. So, so I, when I watched that, the whole ep, the whole um, special live, I was waiting to see if he was going to say something because I wasn't sure. Because throughout the whole program and as it proceeded, it he was talking about other things. He had some pr- pretty funny things in there, and then it got to the point where he started talking about it, and I sat forward because I was like, "Ooh, this is going to get good." Um, when it first happened almost a year ago today, right? Uh, The slap heard around the world. I really wasn't on one side or the other of who I wasn't team Smith or team rock. It was just like something that maybe I wish wouldn't have happened live on uh, the Academy Awards, but it did. Mm -hmm. And it it just was like, Oh, okay. I remember we talked about that last year. We talked about how that felt, what, who was in the wrong, um what should who what should the repercussions be of that and 
this when the special came out and he did this, like you said, he had a year to think about how to get back at him, so to speak. Right. And was it a letdown to me? I think it not really. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting him to like, hey, Will, come on, get up on stage. We're going to go nine rounds or something. Right. So it wasn't like tossing the gauntlet at him. Mm -hmm. He did it in his own way using his own platform, which is stand-up comedy. So if he, if I look at it through that lens, I think then he nailed it because that's all he was trying to do. He was, he was trying to make a point, but because he did it through his stand-up, I think it had to be humorous. Mm -hmm. It couldn't just have been like, uh, if he had wrote like a memoir or something like that, or, uh, you know, some sort of tell-all opinion piece somewhere. Yeah. It could have been a little bit more serious. And I think that would have been held maybe to a little higher esteem. And I even asked that question on Twitter. I was like, because he used his platform as stand and stand up, is it held to the same weight had it been a memoir or something like that? Because I, I don't know. I think if maybe if he thought if it didn't go over well, he say he could always go back and say, hey, it's just a comedy bit. You know, if it, people didn't perceive it the way he wanted to. But I, I I enjoyed it. I think I like the fact that he finally said something. And yeah. Well, I appreciate that he articulated his thoughts on yeah. the whole situation. Um, another point of contention for me was that he said, you know, I'm never gonna play victim. I ain't a victim. I I took that <laughs> that punch by Pacquiao or whatever. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna be on Gale or on Oprah. Right, 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 right. But, like then he turned around and like almost was like. I'm just a skinny little guy and here's Will Smith is so big. And I, you know, and I wasn't saying anything, all these other people were, and he hit it to me. He did kind of sound like he was playing a victim. Like he yeah, was playing yeah. like, I'm a little guy and look at this big guy. Will Smith isn't exactly like a hardcore gangster rapper. Right. He was sort of like the like nice guy rapper. Yeah, so like, yeah. not like he's like this, like he, he called him, you know, um, Suge Smith. He's mm -hmm. like far from Suge Knight. Like yeah. I would be scared of Suge Knight in a room. I would not be scared of Will Smith. So like in a way, I felt like he kind of was playing victim by like saying how skinny he is. I, I mean, based off of their uh, personas in the media, I would assume that Chris Rock is a little bit more street smart than Will Smith is. I don't know them. I don't know their personal backgrounds, mm -hmm. whether it's the opposite or if neither of them are street smart. But <laughs> I would imagine based off of, you know, the perception that Chris Smart, Chris Rock is a little bit more street smart or a little bit more, uh, you know, streetwise. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that, like that he he was like, I'm not a victim. But then he kept saying, like, he's such a little guy that he's skinny, he's smaller, you know, all of that. Um, I, I still don't appreciate that, like, one of the criticisms that he had, right, was that Jada Pinkett Smith was like, he's running his mouth about me, like, it's been an ongoing thing, and I kind of don't like the fact that he was like, look, I, like, I wasn't saying shit about this bitch, like, this bitch this, and she started it, and I ended it, and this is just how comedy works, I felt like it was a little bit like of a cop-out of addressing the issue of him kind of going after mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. um, he could have he could have said it and then to kind of demean her again by just calling her a bitch. Will Smith hit you. Go ahead. Call him a bitch. Yeah. Call him a bitch. Yeah. Call, call him a bitch. But like, what did Jada do to him that again, he's calling her, like saying that she's a bitch. I thought that was a little bit too much because like, he she didn't do anything to him right so why right. a bitch what like what did she what is bitch to him the fact <laughs> that he, he mentioned that story about saying oh i i think you should protest the academy awards because there weren't enough uh black nominees she's voicing her opinion just like he does like everyone's mm -hmm. mad about will smith hitting him because that's his free speech and comedians have the right to say whatever they want well she was saying what she wanted and then now she's got to be a bitch now she's got to have like a confrontation with with him so uh that if if i had to say like okay whose team am i, I am i on i'm slightly more on the smith's camp than i am on chris rock to be honest like 
I don't like when like he sort of tried to make Will Smith like he's a bully, like mm-hmm. oh he's so much bigger than me, he's picking on me. Yeah, you know all these people are talking shit, but he picked on me. When in reality, like comedians can kind of be the bully, right? Yeah. He, after Jada Pinkett Smith, he went out of Will Smith. He was making fun of the fact that you know Jada cheated on Will Smith, and everyone had an opinion that's that is bullying like you're taking a rumor about what happened about someone's relationship making jokes about it that's sort of what bullies do right and then say oh don't take it so seriously it's just a joke i'm just messing around with you it's just a joke it's just a joke right so um it's i mean i don't know i guess it's a very nuanced argument like who's <laughs> going to take but um i i think that comedians do take a lot of um they think that they have a free pass when it comes to making fun of people and being free of consequence. Yeah. And I, I don't, I, I don't believe in that. And especially when it's, I, I don't appreciate men making fun of women. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm from a different generation or was have a different perspective or was raised differently. But um, like, I, I kind of remember of like, this is a, uh, just a different recollection of someone who did that was because I was watching a story earlier on Christina Aguilera and Eminem and Eminem going after like of all the people that he could have gone after in the entertainment industry he went after like a 90 pound like Mm -hmm. singer like Mm -hmm. and I just thought like you want me to respect you when you're going after some young girl like that's such a like a punk move like yeah and and so like Chris Rock going after Jada Pinkett, even though she's certainly capable of defending herself, um, at least like verbally, um, I just don't. It doesn't give off a, a cool vibe for me. Especially he's not a young man. Chris Rock's pretty old. Like yeah, by now you could definitely turn like the corner and like start doing a different type of comedy other than insult comedy. Um, but that's his stick. Like that's his thing, right? So. In a way, yeah. Do that. The only thing I'll say, not in his defense, but one thing I noticed that right before he called her a bitch is that he messed up his joke. Yeah. So he flummoxed his joke, and I don't know if that threw off his his sequence of events, and maybe he just mumbled that out there, and I don't know if that was his intention, but I knew he seemed a little um, riled after he messed up his joke, and he had to circle back around to try to get back on track. So yeah. I don't know if that was part of it. Um, but yeah, no, I completely understand. I, I came from the same camp as you. I don't ever like to disrespect women in that way, and maybe it's just like you said, just how we were raised, right? Are you uh, sure you don't want to take a stand and say you're... <laughs> bullying women are you sure (laughs) i I don't think that's the flag i want to stand that's not the hill i want to die on yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I think that that we kind of you know that that uh we articulated what we wanted to say about chris rock but um talking about the academy awards they're actually coming up this week Mm -hmm. after our podcast post it'll be just a few days away um, so I'm I'm pretty excited. I don't know about you. Like I I do get excited still about the Academy Awards. I do like Hollywood, um, the glamour, the fashion. Um, sometimes the stories, the the acceptance speeches run a little long, get a little bit boring. But <laughs> this year I am a little bit excited based off of the nominees. But yeah, uh, since we're talking about it, why don't we go ahead and go over some of our predictions or what we're looking for? Yes, let's let's do that. Let's do like a final predictions, I guess you could call it, because I, I see that happening a lot since it is, like you said, coming up. So I'm yeah. going to I'm going to throw out some of the I have it here, the list of um, nominees. So I'll throw them out. And and maybe maybe your guess has changed from when we talked about this a month ago. So right. let's let's just start with um, best supporting actress because it's right here. Um so, of course, the nominee, and I just lost it because I scrolled down too much. Best Supporting Actress, of course, the nominees are Angela Bassett, Hung Chow. Oh, Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which, by the way, we've never talked about you and me uh, after I finally saw it. So maybe that will be coming up. Um, Hung Chow for The Whale, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Insurin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Has your choice changed or is it still the same? I am still Angela Bassett for sure. I can see that. Um, yeah. Now that I've seen, I think the only movie I haven't seen 
is the whale. So I can't really say about Hung Hung Chow's performance. Yeah. But Carrie Condon was great in Banshees of Insurance. She really was. So that would be my dark horse for this. Yeah. But I I, I think Angela Bassett's going to win it as well. If Angela Bassett doesn't win, the only acceptable winner for me would be Jamie Lee Curtis because I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's old Hollywood. She's, you know, a nep, nep, nepotism nepo baby. baby. is having yeah, a, she, a moment right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, um, but she's like so awesome. Like I, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. So yeah. If, if Angela loses, Jamie Lee is the only, uh, she's a scream queen. Like I, I, she came from, you know, all of those old horror movies. So mm -hmm. I definitely, no, those are the only two acceptable answers for me. <laughs> right on. <laughs> okay, let's go to best supporting actor. So Brendan Gleeson for Banshees of Insurance, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan for The Banshees of Insurance, and Ki Hua Kwan, Ki, I can't even say his name, sorry, Ki, Ki Hua Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I, I'm hoping that Ki wins for Everything mm -hmm. All at Once. Um, I just think he would be make such, make such a great story. And uh, I think that he's so like an iconic actor for our generation, being the star of the Goonies and Indiana yeah. Jones um, franchise. Uh, I would love to see him win. I agree. I would love to see him win as well for those reasons and because he did a great job. Um, yeah. um, but I, I think the fact that both Barry Keoghan and Brendan Cleason from the Banshees of Insurance are both nominated probably split the took away some votes from one another because mm -hmm. Brendan Gleeson he did a great job in that movie Banshees of Insurance he he was fantastic and totally um could see him running away with that had he hadn't been also nominated with Barry I think nice okay so best lead actress now this one um let's just go through the nominees Kate Blanchett with Tar Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for To Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yao for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I, I don't even have to say it. This is <laughs> Michelle Yao's year. Yeah, She's definitely yeah. going to win. It's going to be like a cool moment. It's going to be triumphant. Um, She's going to be glamorous. She's going to be everything, everywhere all at once. It's going to be <laughs> super, super cool. Uh, I can't wait. I'm going to be watching just to see her win. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hope you don't get disappointed because Kate Blanchett and Tar was fantastic. Um, also, Michelle Williams. I'll start like flipping tables over. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you record yourself doing that. I want to see it. <laughs> Set up a camera. Look, oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> but Michelle Williams in The Fablements was also great. She was. Uh, have you seen the Fablemans yeah. yet? Have you seen the Fablemans yet? I haven't. Okay. Um, yeah, she was just really good. Really, really good. She's a really great actress. They're all really great actresses, but the Academy Awards, it's it's about like a culmination of like your performance like the vibes that you're giving off, it's almost like the universe comes within alignment and yeah. Michelle Yao is having that moment. Oh, like, I agree. I agree. No, like it's sort of like with Halle Berry. Um, it's it, it just like, it's almost like an unspoken thing where like all the pieces come together and fit perfectly. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but like, I'm really just hoping fingers crossed that, I'm right, and she does win because I'll be so disappointed if if Kate Blanchett wins. I, I mean, she's let's be honest, like Kate Blanchett, like is going to have more opportunity to win. She's a really great actress. I don't think Michelle Yao is going to have, you know, four or five more movies where she's going to going to be able to get nominated for an Academy Award. Well, I certainly hope not. I mean, I certainly hope she has more opportunities, but I, I think she will. But you know, she's. She's a foreign actress, and so it's not very often that actors and actresses in foreign films get nominated for yeah. actor or actress, whereas Kate Blanchett, she is also a foreign actress. She's Australian, but she's <laughs> in a lot of American movies, yeah, right? Yeah, no, you're right. She's Americans, and um, I just think that the opportunity is a little bit greater for her. 
I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I want Michelle Yao to win. I think, and I will, at the end, I'll give more thoughts about that. But yeah, I want <laughs> Michelle Yao to win. <laughs> okay. So best lead actor, um, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Insurance, Brendan Fraser for The Well, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nye for Living. Thoughts? Okay. I think I changed my answer because I want to say that I said, uh, Brendan Fraser, last time we talked about award season. Okay. I'm going to go with Colin Farrell. I can agree with that. Although yeah. I think Austin Butler is going to win it. I really For do. Elvis? Yeah. I, I, really I, do. I understand your, your perspective is like the biopic. Like it's like the opposite of a curse. It's like the biopic. Um, I don't know. What would you call the opposite of a curse? Like. Blessing, uh, what? Uh, blessing, yeah, yeah, and, and so I could see that, but it it just it hasn't had the kind of buzz that like Ray Charles, yeah, that's true, did, or or um, the Joaquin Phoenix and, and when he portrayed uh, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash, it just it ha- doesn't have like that vibe that I'm talking about, that buzz with Michelle Yao. Um, it just doesn't. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I don't feel that that's well, gonna. Does the only one who I think has that buzz and that vibe is Brendan Fraser? Yeah, right. So Colin Farrell doesn't have that buzz. No, um, I just like Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, don't get me wrong; he was fantastic in that movie. Um, yeah. But I think just based on the performances, I think Butler was going to take it. I really yeah. do. All right. Well, we'll have to see. I guess we will. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go real quick to best um best original song. Um so applause from Tell It Like a Woman, music and lyrics by Diane Warren, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, music and lyrics by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop, Lift Me Up from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler and Lubick Gorenson, lyrics by Thames and Ryan Coogler. Uh Natu Natu from RRR Music by M.M. Kiravani and lyric by Chandra Bose. I'm just, I'm guessing on these names. I apologize if I get them wrong. And lastly, This is a Light from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski. Lyric by Ryan Lott and David Byrne. I I want Lady Gaga to win for obvious reasons, but I have a sneaking suspicion that David Byrne might win for Everything Mm. Everywhere All at Once. Okay. He's the kind of like weirdo that like wins those kind of awards, like <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and people are like, how did he win? But it's like because he's like that insider musician that like musicians love. Mm. Uh, I just I I don't think that Gaga is kind of polarizing in that people love her and then some people don't take her seriously. So I think that's going to work against her. Diane Warren, I don't think has won yet. I think that she's kind of cursed because she does songs for such big blockbusters mm-hmm. that it works against her. Um, I would be happy if like some weird song from, I shouldn't say weird, if a song from like RRR wins or, but I, I, I'm going to think, I think that David Byrne might win. Okay. I, I My first vote was for Hold My Hand with Lady Gaga because I thought it was a really great song. But the more I've been listening to it and the more yeah. I watched Black Panther, I really think Lift Me Up has a great shot. I mean, just the mm-hmm. lyrics and the way it's used within the movie. And I just think that it's it, it might be the winner. I really do. I will be so disappointed. Like, okay, how, how do I phrase this? Like, <laughs> I don't want Rihanna to have an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think she's that deserving of it. So I don't want her to win. I like Fair her. Enough. Give her a Grammy, but like an Academy Award, I don't know. I just don't want it to happen. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that's just my feelings. Just my personal feelings as an old man. <laughs> so now that we know you hate Rihanna, which I'm putting <laughs> words in your mouth. <laughs> but now that we know that, and that's an established fact on the record, let's move on. So, so let's go ahead and let's just jump right to the to the big, the one with the most um, nominees, and that is Best Picture. So we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of the Water, The Banshees of Insurance, 
Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. What do you pick? Not changing my mind or changing, you know, my opinion. Everything, everywhere, all at once is still my winner. I agree. I agree yeah. completely. I think everything, everywhere, all at once, um, it could potentially sweep all the categories it's in, right? Because it's been doing that in all the other award shows that have been going on. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if it does that. Um, how many of the other movies have I actually even seen? Uh, saw Triangle <laughs> of Sadness, saw Top Gun, saw Tar, saw The Fableman, saw Elvis, saw Banshees. So I'm just missing a, a couple of them that I haven't seen. But of the ones I have, yeah, it, that one is the one that really stands out to me. It really is, um, I think, above and beyond what the in its originality and it's, you know, it's just everything about it is just Academy Award Best Picture perfect. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, no, no controversy for me. I am going with everyone else at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No hate on everything, everywhere, all at once then, I guess. So sounds good. Well, uh, I guess this is a perfect spot. So since we're talking about best picture and movies and films and whatnot, our next guest for Little Talks here at Pop Cult X. Um, let's go ahead and let's just run right into that. Why don't we? Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Pop Cult X Little Talks. It's our conversation series where we chat with a, a wide variety of creative-minded people. Today, we are fortunate and lucky and thrilled to be joined by filmmaker Eric Shapiro. So welcome to Pop Cult X, Eric. Thank you, Danny, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, it's really great to have you, especially since you come highly regarded from a mutual friend of ours, and that is Shannon Callahan, yeah. who's a fabulous music musician, music producer, and um, film producer now is what I, from what I'm hearing. Um, so she connected us, which I thought mm -hmm. was really cool. And so it's a little weird for me because some of our guests, I kind of like to, I don't want to say digitally stock, but, you know, kind of get like a feel for who they are before they come on the show. <laughs> But um, I wasn't really okay. able to get much because your social media footprint's kind of small, which is cool in a way. Um, okay, I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah, it hasn't always been. Okay. So, okay. okay. <laughs> well, you've worked hard to get it that way, it seems like. So good for you. I, I wish I could do that sometimes. Um, but which is, uh, it's really cool because now I get to learn more about you. And so does our audience. So Eric, oh, tell cool. us, you are a filmmaker, a screenwriter. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in that, what really influenced you to go down this path. Absolutely. Um, as far as uh, the first thing on social media, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because there was a time I had a Facebook account that doesn't exist anymore. And the one that's active currently is a replacement. So I literally deleted mm -hmm. the past account. And uh, I, I actually, there are certain screenplay projects I'm working on now that I'm not yet at liberty to talk about publicly because they're with bigger studios <laughs> and they're under, they're under non-disclosure. Yeah. Uh -huh. So as part of those, when I got on board with those projects, um, I wiped my Facebook like of any like potential joke that could be inflammatory. Uh, I'm also mm. I'm also a journalist, so like I've written op eds that that you know that are political that they can draw strong opinions and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I uh, I very much like once the bigger Hollywood stuff started cooking, mm -hmm. I very much like cooled the social media communication. So I was I'm thrilled to hear that that was your impression because <laughs> I'm always like, nah, I hope this is like nice and clean. Like I don't seem like I'm making any trouble because yeah, mm -hmm. so that's a liability. But um, as far as getting on the path, that's a really good question. I went to college. Um, like I'm trying to think of a, a starting point. Like I went to college at Emerson College in Boston. Okay. And I studied writing, literature, and publishing. But uh, I had always been really into filmmaking. Like, since I was, like, 12, like, my dad got us a camcorder, and I instantly mm -hmm. started making, just making movies at home with, like, wigs and noses. I would play all different characters. So nice. <laughs> I've, been, I've been into it, like, my whole life. But it's been on a, It's kind of been in a dance throughout my life with, um, with writing. Like, okay. so, like, in college, like, the technical aspect of film, and this, this applies to what I'm doing with Shannon now, in terms of uh, the Tightser project, the uh, the I remember going to film school. So this was in the nineties. This was nineteen ninety six. I started, okay. and um, I couldn't stand film itself. Like I had gone to a 
performing arts high school. Uh, and we had, I'd study video and I, you, it was a really cool program. Like you had to be accepted and accepted to get in. You had to show them sample videos. And I was like a video making oh, cool. maniac. So it was really cool. It was like fame. <laughs> like I got to go to this school and I, I'm still friends with a couple of people from there and it was a great experience. But once I got to college and was studying film, um, I couldn't stand film itself. I've never been able to like developing mm -hmm. film stock and like mm -hmm. loading the camera. Like mm -hmm. so this is all before it was literally like two years before everything went digital. Digital, right. Gotcha. So, I know what yeah. You mean. So like, and I, I always like felt like, well, why isn't it video? Like video is so much easier, even though it didn't look as good at that time, but that was a frustration. So I pivoted to writing and then throughout my life, that's been a consistent pattern where I've uh, through much of my life been a professional writer. I've been a ghostwriter. I've been a journalist. Like I was a ghostwriter slash speechwriter full time for many years. And then uh, now my wife and I co-own the newspaper in the city we live in, which oh, is called cool. the Milpita Street. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And um, so I still am employed, you know, like fundamentally I'm a writer at that capacity. Yeah. I'm a writer editor professionally. But um, what happened recently was really interesting um, with filmmaking because uh Throughout my adult life, I had kept making films and like since college, even though I switched my major to writing. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, but still, like I, I still really love movies and cinema and that, the art form and uh, screenwriting. So I had produced a couple indie films and I felt partially because of technological reasons that they weren't like as um, visceral or exciting as the stuff I made when I was younger. And I always felt that. And it was interesting because even people that knew me as a teenager saw my more adult work. They thought it was solid and it was fine, but they did feel something like, huh, he kind of lost something. And it was kind of a, mm. a sad thing I carried. I carried it for a really long time. But uh, interestingly, I started making, um, last fall, I started making like shorts on just on my iPhone, like editing, shooting nice. and editing them. And the uh, production values were low. But Shannon, because she's very intuitive and very like emotionally driven as an artist, she and I have been friends for a while. And she like right away like noticed there was like a visceral kick. She had seen a couple of my other films, and again they're fine. Like I don't mean to drag on the other films because there's <laughs> people I've worked with on those, like stuff that it came out okay. But uh, and I'm proud of them. But there's just something about the immediacy and the spontaneity and the electricity of like doing it very DIY, like with the yeah. editing and like. And then she instantly caught it, and then she very graciously stepped forward and said, um, "I will finance a feature film." Uh, the idea being that she'll, she'll be the producer, but she will also do the score, which is, uh, you know, a total win for me because her music is mm -hmm. excellent. And it's her and, uh, her and Jaime Morales, uh, her yeah. partner. And, uh, yeah. So the two of them I've been working with and lately in the past, uh, couple weeks, we've actually been doing practice shorts, uh, with the iPhone 14, oh, okay. which gives like a, a hugely professional look. So on my Facebook, like I just posted the first one, the second one is still in post-production because we're adding visual effects to it so we have this little unit and we're making these um down and dirty rather inexpensive projects with high production values and like there's just a visceral kick and i'm i'm essentially one man banding in the production like i act in them and then like <laughs> like for the for the practice shorts like my kids are in them so like that's that's where i am so it's very much been a journey of um because right now i'm 44 like I, like i feel like i'm at the right age to be like okay like, you know, I might be like dumb on some level, but this is really the only way I can direct. Like it has to be very like I can't stand the professional format with the 16 hour days and the lighting and and the, um you know, like you're waiting an hour for each lighting setup. And and I just like I just never could stand it. And people like knew me as a director because of my couple of features that were they were both good. They were distributed. They won awards like but they always knew I was miserable doing it. <laughs> and it's because it's because uh, it's because the apparatus uh right the right. apparatus needed to change yeah i know so i basically just gave you like my entire life story as like succinctly as i could yeah. well that hey that's cool i mean I, yeah. I i appreciate you using your phone and and just capturing what you can with that and because that's that's been like a dream of mine you know grabbing my phone come up with a story and just you know going and then editing it and do diy it like you said because you should do, I mean, it's amazing. And I feel like um, it really is like a revolution in terms of how far the technology has come. Mm -hmm. And it's almost embarrassing to say that because like, you know, there's technology and there's also technique. So I wouldn't yeah. want to create the impression that I'm completely anchored in the technology, <laughs> nor would, nor would you, I know you're a creative right. guy, like, but it's like, so there is like, but it really is liberating from the standpoint of uh, what you can do with technique and uh, 
And just like it's just blown so much open aesthetically, it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It, and and it's only going to keep getting better, I think. Uh, like you said, using yeah. the latest iPhone has the cinematic mode. I mean, it has so yeah. much built into it where you don't need the full apparatus, as you put it, anymore. Yeah, it's so, it's completely true. And there's really literally nothing stopping anyone. Like, uh, And it used to be that, okay, even if you had other tools like digital cameras or um, – you know, where mini DV was a big breakthrough. There have been breakthroughs mm-hmm. along the way, but in general, you were still bogged because of uh, limitations um, in terms of uh, the, the next thing we're going to test is actually sound. I'm going to see mm. how, like if I have to record a separate track or not. And we mm-hmm. just discussed that yesterday and I'm I'm willing to take it further. But I think the key is at this juncture is that the um, the budget can be really low and you can get something that looks completely acceptably professional and that's that's a huge huge change and uh and they're really it's interesting how people are in different bubbles with it because there's like people that are aware of diy content like podcasts and like Mm -hmm. you know like it's like their favorite thing on youtube and and then there's people that are still just very much anchored in their perception toward uh like whatever's on network television or streaming and it's not official unless it's there and it's just amazing the extent to which uh DIY is really encroaching on the traditional space. Like it even happens again. I'm a writer, so I've written books. Like it even is going on in that space where year after year, like when I got started as a writer, uh, self-publishing was really looked down upon. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they call it vanity publishing. And now it's, uh, and I never did it. I always turned my nose up at it. I'm like, that's, I would never, I need a gatekeeper. But now it's like, I think more than half of all ebooks sold are self-published. Like yeah. it's very much that, there's like no excuse not to do it on your own if you if you're if you want to. Yeah, and I think that's a theme I've found interviewing different people is that if you want to do it, just go out there and do it. Don't let yeah. anything hold you back. Yeah. You really should. And it's um it's amazing. I have to tell you, like as somebody, particularly at my age, there's something odd. Like when you're in your 40s and you're still an artist, it's like it it definitely it, so far for me, as far as decades go, has been the strangest. Like, it's like, wow, there is something ridiculous about being an artist, even if you're a, an accepted one or a good one or like you've, you've you have credits and you've you've had accolades and so forth. Like, it's odd, but but there is no denying that the fire is in me and that it's um there's like huge life energy I derive from doing it. So there's like there's just no way it can ever stop. Like, if it's not there, I feel like I'm not um I'm not like activated in my purpose. Like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely understand that I'm 45, so I I'm oh, right God, in okay, the same bucket as you. Younger. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, that fire's there, and if I'm not doing something creative, it's like yeah. just uh, burning inside. I got to just let it out somehow. So yeah. Oh, I understand. love it. Yeah, and I think in that way, like artists are not dissimilar from criminals. Like it's like it's very <laughs> much like it puts it puts you outside like the accepted paradigm of behavior, yeah. which is like. You know, you have your job, you have, you know, you're essentially like a an earner and a consumer. And those are like, you're going to be in that box somewhere or another, which is not That's to say true. You, yeah. You, yeah. It's just like, and, 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 you know, of course, people have meaningful careers and we need people doing all kinds of functions. And I have a career as well. And so does my wife. But there's very much the uh, the anarchic impulse to still, you know, mm-hmm. be gonzo. And even with the newspaper, when I do opinion editorials, there's definitely an artistic literary thing happening within them and it's interesting because i own the news- newspaper like no editor would ever allow me to do them if, if, if i work for them like it, it's just too, like i'm combining too many genres and but it really is um i think it's an important value system it's better than being a criminal right it's because it's like yeah, you're getting you're like you can break <laughs> you can break rules and get away with things but it's like you're not hurting anyone so <laughs> <laughs> artist or criminal hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. i hear you <laughs> so w- let's let's talk about your writing a little bit more um you said you've written a few novels okay. r- written a few books and yeah. you ri- you wrote your current feature that shannon's producing that's called tightser correct mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. can you give us a little brief yes, synopsis right. of, about that book or movie yeah film? T- tightser absolutely and thank you and uh, i'm so happy to talk about it. like uh Heitzer is, um, it's, it's absurd. It's completely gonzo, ludicrous. Uh, it's about a dystopia. It's about a dystopia where uh, tights are illegal. Um, oh, so okay. the, the garments, so they're not the only thing that are illegal. It's like, um, 
anything sensual in the vein of like clothing or makeup or like any sensual adornment that would uh essentially the government in the dystopia is uh only wants sex to occur for the purpose of procreation so tights are illegal for all genders like it's like you know so like uh so in the movie i'm a guy who um like is like you know like like i'm like essentially using tights like like i'm obsessed with tights and I, I'm trying to get my like, and I like I have one pair that's like ragged, and I lose it, you know, for a variety <laughs> of reasons. Like I've worn them down, and then like so very early in the movie, somebody uh, sees me um, like through the window, and I'm like ah, and then I have to um, cut them up and get rid of them, and then it's like I don't have my fix, so I end up on an Odyssey to get another pair. Mm. So it's just all about like it's all about like repressed um, eroticism, sensuality. It's also mm-hmm. about you know gender identity and like. Uh, and just like also like, you know, there are countries, of course, where certain garments are prohibited and like we don't we don't live in that form of culture. But uh, yeah. And then Shannon um, sparked the idea like she really got it from the standpoint of uh, not got it. Like it's like some hard thing to understand. But like uh, she was really with it, like from the standpoint of um, just it's original and strange. It's timely. And uh, there's something awkward about it. Like we when her and myself and Jaime had our first uh, production meeting, we were t- that was the first thing I said to them, which is that. Um, there is something about tights that's like almost awkward to talk about because there's like, they, they bring it, they elicit like a reaction that's either like eroticized or like, oh, it seems kind of funny or silly or embarrassing. So there's nothing okay. else like them that feels like them or looks like them. So that was sort of, that was like ground, ground zero for the concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's an interesting concept. It really is. I mean, I, I think, and it's not far fetched from what people were trying to do in reality today. I read yeah. somewhere that like some people are trying to ban yoga pants or something like that. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. I never heard that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, um, and it is, it's interesting also from the, um, gender crossing standpoint, how like, okay, like, uh, you know, there are certain things, obvious, not, not obviously, but there are certain things that we just are programmatically accept as like, okay, like boys don't wear dresses, et cetera. Right. But it's interesting how, when it comes to something like sites or like stockings or pantyhose, there's like this, charge of of softness and like silky gentleness that makes it like that much more taboo in the mass perception like like you're saying about yoga pants it's like whoa you can't you shouldn't wear something that tight like it like it makes people makes people like feel shame and it's uh yeah so there's a lot there like i felt it was like a good chance to do something very visceral and awkward and just like that Mm -hmm. sort of like people like what like you can't quantify it like like as it's unfolding in front of you it's like how am i supposed to feel about this yeah yeah, I, I watched yeah. a movie recently called The Neon Demon. Okay, I, I haven't seen The Neon Demon. Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah. you, okay. I recommend it, and it has that sort of qualities that you were just talking about. It's okay. very visceral, very you know awkward, and it has those moments where you're like, "What is going on?" It has, it's very yeah, yeah, artsy. Yeah. So, um, oh, nice. yeah, I recommend watching that if you haven't seen. Oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. great! You know what's really funny, quantumly, that you brought that up is uh, it's Nicholas Winding Refn, right? The uh, that's the uh, filmmaker. I believe the guy so. Yeah, because it's interesting because Shannon and Jaime's music is um, well, they do all kinds of genres, but mm-hmm. they um, I guess the correct categorization, which I hope I'm not getting wrong, for a <laughs> for what's driving tights are synth. Like it's uh it's very like pounding, very mm-hmm. like electric mm-hmm. sound. And that's the sort of music I know that filmmaker uses. And when yeah. we started planning the production, I uh t- tried to turn her on to the, to Nicholas Winding Refn. So it's yeah. interesting you're referring to one of his movies, yeah. Yeah, and it is him. I looked it up. Yeah, you're right. It absolutely is. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he definitely has it. And if you're going for that, oh, I can't wait to see it. That's oh, thank gonna, you so much. This yeah, thank really you. Cool. Sort of like a like a, a trance state, and also not um, not a terrible amount of dialogue too, because like I found like one of the other things I do that what um, I'm juggling is um, I for the past three years I've co-hosted a show on NBC News Radio. Okay. So there's um. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of a lot of the guests are authors and filmmakers, and the uh, topic of gender comes up all the time vis-a-vis whatever project, you know, book they're mm-hmm. promoting or whatnot. And it's so hard to speak about because you end up tiptoeing and like it's just like <laughs> you know people people get like very um, can get very inflamed around different aspects of it. And I was like, huh? Like as I started thinking through the movie, I was like, like what if it was just like highly visual and music, and it's like whatever thoughts you're having or your own like it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be chatty or explain much or and so forth yeah yeah that's really cool that is really cool sure. oh, thank um you. so what other projects i guess 
of yours that you, well, you've mentioned some of your previous feature films and your short videos that your films that you've been working on. Is there anything else that you're currently allowed to talk about? Yeah, I think thank you for putting it that way. Like before we got on, I was like, wait a second, I, I better not cross any lines. Uh, Tightster is the main thing, and definitely the okay. configuration I have with Shannon, Shannon and Jaime is definitely the main huddle. There's also uh, RJ Stevan, who's a brilliant collaborator. He's been doing the color and visual effects on these oh. projects, and he's gonna help. He's gonna be a huge component producing Tightster. Um, so we have our our little band in action, and there are hopefully within the months to come, I'll be more at liberty to speak of things that are bigger. Uh, okay. But it's interesting because that's another part of the dynamic as well, is that that machine, Hollywood, moves so slowly. Like, and it's so, and I'm not complaining because it's really, it's really <laughs> exciting to be a part of it, but it's also exciting to be able to like have control over something that you, that's part of the DIY appeal also. Like you, you have control over yeah, it. You can go yeah. Through it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I would say um, as far as like, as far as my books go, the most recent two are from both from 2020. They're called, uh, there's a novel called Red Dennis, which okay. is about a guy who's, uh, which is very political and very like, uh, also like incendiary and, and, and potentially divisive. Like, but it, uh, it also appeals to a wide swath of people. Um, it's about a guy that's, uh, shunned by his community. Like he, like essentially just for saying a couple awkward things, like, uh, but it's kind of like a Rorschach test of like, where the reader can decide for themselves how nah. bad what he did was. Gotcha. And so um, he becomes radicalized politically, and that's a whole journey and odyssey he goes through. So that's fiction. And then I wrote a book called Ass Plus Seat uh, the same year it came out. I mean, that was also my first book that was self-published, where I was finally like, you know what? Like, there's no taboo anymore. And I have, I have, <laughs> right. There were a lot of great, there were a lot of like awesome authors endorsing it. Like, I was like, okay, it's, I think it's completely credible. Like, I worked really hard on it. So I self-published that, and that's all about... Um, motivating people to write so it's oh, just okay. tips tips to get you to write yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that because right. that, that was going to be my next question what is your like how do you motivate yourself to write do you do it every day is there oh, like a certain yeah. time of the day very good question i will say like because i've spent i've spent so much of my life writing uh particularly ghost writing like i have spent so many hours doing it like the volume is so extreme and during my ghostwriting years, which were it was like sixteen or seventeen years full time, wow. I would say in any of any any of those years, I probably wrote like twenty five hundred pages. Like so, it was like extreme, and it was often seven days a week. And it was always that you're writing. I was writing for clients, so it's not my own content. So it's always yeah. different. And you know, some of them are similar to others, but a, a lot of times you're navigating a different personality instead mm -hmm. of like objectives and aesthetics. And I'm tuning the voice to to suit the client. And I will say that no matter what, no matter who you are, like even if you've written that much, and I was writing so much that uh, it literally, I think for a period, and it, this might even still be true today, it became easier for me than speaking for a while. Like it was crazy. Like I realized, like well, I was, you know, I think you know, I speak fine, but like I realized sometimes I'd be in a conversation and be like, oh my god, like if I was writing, <laughs> it, this would be a little because it was like all I was doing all the time. It was ridiculous. So, um, but I will say, with all that in mind. Um, that uh, it's always hard every day. Like starting is always hard. It's usually, and I put this in ask plus C, it's usually the first two paragraphs um, oh, that are a hump to get over. Like any okay. any day, any time, like any level of experience. Like at least that's my experience. It's like, I'll sit there, I'll be like, oh God. Like, cause it hurts. Like you're gonna go down into like a meditative state. You're like, I just wanna like be up here. Like, I just wanna watch television. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, I'm gonna hurt myself. But then once you're in it, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. Um, and I would say, I usually do it um, in the morning, I usually try and burn it down in the first few hours of the day. That's cool. Um, so if I have a writing, yeah, like a writing objective and it's not long and I was vindicated by Stephen King. Like, I think he writes for four hours a day. I think I don't oh, want to wow. get, it's something like that. It's like several hours and that really is where I crash. It's like, I can't, if I'm still <laughs> writing an hour five, my brain is mush. So it's usually, it's usually like, even if it's the newspaper or it's, and I still have clients, like, usually four hours and like then um then the rest of the day i'll still be working but it's like administrative like it's like yeah, other stuff yeah, like that yeah. doesn't require that form of labor yeah that's yeah. cool i hear you um well we are a pop culture podcast or a youtube show so okay. uh i like to ask okay. all of our guests what are you currently watching reading if you have time <laughs> uh, listening yeah. to yeah. Um, okay. What's really weird. Okay. So I have, um, this is a whole thing that's been going on. Okay. So I have two kids and uh, the mm -hmm. older one is 11. The younger one is eight. 
And it was strange because for the first eight years of my older child's life, I really was like the only stuff I was watching was like his stuff, like Pixar. So it was like written okay. again, like I'd made films. Like I was like, I was like obsessed with movies and so into it. And um, and then uh like it just it was parenthood, it was just the uh the yeah. wallop impact on my schedule and then working all the time. So uh I, I realized like wow, I'm way off this stuff. And then when COVID happened, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be inside a lot, like I have nowhere to go. So I like I I literally needed a couple of friends of mine to help me because everybody knew it was like a weird thing. Like I also my indie films I had made, they had gotten distributed, but there was no, they didn't do particularly well. Like it was an accomplishment that they got distributed, they got a certain degree of strong recognition, and I'm proud of them. But they also like there was no, they didn't set any big fire. Like the mm-hmm. last one that came out was a decade ago. And subsequent, I've had I've had more momentum screenwriting for different producers, which has been awesome, but the movies themselves never got much going. So I was like, just like, I don't want to watch anything. My friends knew it. And I was like, I just can't like, all I, all I do is sit there watching like how it was made. Like, I'm not interested in the story. Like, I'm like, huh, I wonder how much this person got paid, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so that, 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 that was a long period. And then um, after that, uh, after lockdown, um, it, like, I, um, I don't know if that's a politically charged term, but after COVID, the, a couple friends of mine, we're like giving me tutelage in terms of how to um, come back to it. So my one friend, Pete, for example, was like, um, he was like, okay, like you've been away for a while. He's like, things have changed. Like there's like really not many indie movies anymore. There's not many dramas, like things change over the course of a decade, but he's like, you want to go to horror, like look at horror because that's where the more interesting voices are. Like, yeah, the lower budgets, they don't need stars. They can have original screenplays. So that was the start. And I started like, and I've written horror, but I'm not like a horror head. But I really liked why, like over since COVID began, and I've been consistent even even as things have opened up. Um, I've watched like hundreds of films, so I would say lately to answer your question properly, the um, it's been more like looking at older horror movies, which oh, is okay. uh, which is coming from coming from RJ, the um, producer of Tightser. He's been like recently. I watched um, a movie from 1962 called um, Carnival of Souls um which was really scary it was a horror movie about like a, a haunted carnival and then i watched a movie before that called island of lost souls which was from the 30s which is essentially the island of dr moreau so that's okay. sort of a uh, older black and white stuff like i had never looked at it and i've seen so many movies i was like let me go back there like just mm-hmm. finally like, mm-hmm. like you know, i know there's so much great stuff back there and i i've been like flipping out with excitement over how cool i think they are and they're like they're very pure and it's also into this sounds like psychotic but it's it's interesting and shannon and shannon and i bond over like weird psychic stuff like um <laughs> it's interesting what's interesting about those movies is that everybody in them is no longer here like they're all they're, it's like watching ghosts you know oh yeah so it's like true. Very, yeah so there's like a texture it's like wow they're very pure like they're not like reacting like you can watch a movie from you know 2022 and you'll feel it reacting to the current cultural environment there's all this noise around that but yeah. if you go back decades or a hundred years it's like, wow, there's just like, it's very elemental. You're just feeling the story and the emotions and the psychology. So, um, yeah, so that has very much been a big thing lately, th- those types of films. That's that's very true. That's a good point about the older films. It is, yeah. there are in within their silo, I guess, right? So they're not worried about yeah. the current, current events or whatnot. And you can exactly. appreciate them for that. So, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was always, I, I was so late to that party. I was like, I was so one of those film people. Like I had seen some Hitchcock, but there were pretty much like anything before like 1968. Like I usually was like allergic. Like I didn't go there. Like I was like, I was like, it all, it all pretty much starts with 2001: Space Odyssey, and then like I knew like everything from that point on. But I was like, okay, I can go back. I can go back. Very cool. Well, I I hope your journey down that is fruitful and exciting. Thank you. And um, one last question I have for you, and and this is sure. going to be. Um, a little bold here. Any bold Academy Award predictions that you might oh, have? That's coming what's up. So funny is, what's so funny is if you had caught me in any year, but this past year, I would have seen nothing. But uh-huh. I think okay, so I've seen a few. Let me let me like I've seen the Fablemans. Like I mm-hmm. literally years went by where I saw no contenders, so I would have had no answer. I saw Fablemans. I saw Women Talking. I saw. I know Angela Bassett was amazing in Black Panther two. She was yeah. nominated. I saw. Um, there's wait, there's like a few more. I saw Tar, and yeah. um, 
It's so funny also, Danny, because uh, now that you're um, like in the machine, like I'm like I'm like afraid to criticize everything publicly. <laughs> so like, uh, but there, yeah, I saw, of course, Top Gun two, mm-hmm. and I know that got nominated for things. So I think that would so it's pretty comprehensive. Um, predictions. Um, I think um, it's one I haven't seen. It's probably going to take Best Picture, which is uh, was it Everything Everywhere All at Once? Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the feeling I'm getting just yeah, from what I'm picking me too. up. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, and um. I really have to say I'm Jewish, so I'm partial. But like the Fablemans was fantastic. Like I thought, I thought it was like, and, I, and Spielberg is a giant, but I thought it was one of his best movies. Like I thought it was very touching, and so I hope it gets recognized in some sense or another. Yeah, I'm half Jewish as well, so I appreciate okay. that part of it. And and it just okay. seeing um, for as a filmmaker as you are and as myself, seeing that yeah. you know yeah. him discover new ways of doing stuff in the Fablemans, I thought that was really great. So that. I, I, um, I, I I love that movie, although I don't think it will win, but I did love that movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I, I had the exact same reaction to what you said. Like, it was like, what was so cool about it is, I think because he is Steven Spielberg and he means so much to movies, mm-hmm. there's the liability of, like, it would have been, and I didn't think he would do this, but just the whole idea of him doing a memoir sort of points an arrow toward, like, is he going to make it like he was a genius? Because because he is a genius, but like it's not like that would be a really bad look if he made a movie like oh my god, I was so special, you know. <laughs> so what was what, what was really cool is that like he he presented himself as a guy that's just like trying to figure out how to get it, like how do movies work, like what do we do here? Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was a really good message for artists, especially with filmmaking, which has a very unsexy matter of fact element to it as exciting as it can be like there is just something like where it's like okay at the end of the day you're like working with gear and you're like okay wait which lens do i need and it's it can get very like dry yeah yeah so i thought it was interesting that he he didn't make it like he was anything special he was like i'm just the guy you know that loves mm-hmm. this and that started mm-hmm. doing it yeah. Yeah. yeah and it definitely was a passion and i think yeah in his first films in that in the movie the fablemans what i really liked was that he was doing it with his friends and they were yeah, building yeah. it and coming together as a unit. And they all were just, you know, committing to that. And I, I was excited because, you know, you work with friends you and to create yeah. stuff. And so it can be difficult to get people to commit as much energy as you have to a project. So it's Absolutely, it was really cool to yeah. see that. That's a really good point. And I love like, uh, I mean, I was going to say I love working with friends, which is fundamentally true. But it's it's more what you said. It's the it has to be the right friends like Mm -hmm. and then there's like nothing more fun and then like you want to keep that huddle going with like um and that's exactly what i have with shannon and jaime and rj like uh there's like it's just it's like so fun and exciting that it's like it's infusing us and then uh you know it feels like wild and dangerous to to a certain degree it's like okay we have to keep this vibe going but we know like there are going to be times where the energy changes but it's like it's a very exciting ride yeah yeah very true (laughs) <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk with us here at Pop Cult X. We really do appreciate that. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Danny. I, I had a blast being here. Yeah, and everyone out there, um, go look for Tightser. When it does get released, it's going to be uh, a thrilling ride, I'm sure. I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I want to be transcended by your film. Thank you so much, Danny. So, yeah, thank you again, Eric, for taking some time to chat with us here at Popcultex about your filmmaking, about your career, and we really appreciate you spending some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Great interview. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, as interviews go and episodes go, you know, we're, we're, we're making our way to number 100. And so that's exciting for me. It's exciting, as we talked about, that we're able not just to get to that number, but, you know, stuck with it. And we really, you know, made an effort and put in the time to to build up the show and get to it. So and we couldn't have done that without all support from our our loyal audience, so to speak. So we are going to be doing a little giveaway to um, thank you all. So it's a, a going to be a random pick from one of any of the eligible entrants. So go over to our website, which is it's going to be become more of a prominent role in the show. I think uh, as we try, as I try to, I guess, dwindle down the Twitter portion of it. So I'm going to try to use the website as a more prevalent place to put our thoughts and opinions. So be looking out for more blog posts there. Be looking out for more. Um, 
shareable stuff that we'll be using. And the first big one is, of course, this giveaway. So go to popcultx.com slash 100. That's just the number 100. And you'll be able to enter in for our giveaway. It's going to be a really cool uh, custom art piece by uh, a person who we've had on the show before, and that's Jacob Edgar. So he's currently creating it for us for this giveaway. So be sure to go out there, share this with all your friends, share that website with all your friends, use hashtag popcultx100 so we can look and see and and we want to see your responses and we want to see what um, how you're patting us on our backs, so to speak. So, <laughs> so, so that's all I got for this week, Gabe. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to end the, this episode. So uh, keep an eye out for that contest. Definitely want you to win some cool swag um, and uh, we'll see you soon. Stay safe, everyone.